Let's get back to Romans chapter 8. And um, I will try to, well, we'll tr- I think we'll have plenty of time tonight to cover verse 2 of Romans 8. So what I'd like to do is start by reading the first two verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, you might remember that there were two words that I really tried to emphasize last week. Uh, there are two little words. One is the word no, and the other word, the other word is in. That is, the emphasis upon no condemnation. Uh, There is um, no condemnation awaiting the people of God, even though those same people from time to time slip back into their old uh, uglinesses. Uh, Even then, there is no condemnation. Is there there, uh, shame, perhaps? Uh, Regret? Sure. But there is no condemnation. And then that text goes on to uh, say that um, it, that is available to all those who are in. And we spent much of our time uh, talking about one's union with Christ um, to those who are in Christ Jesus. If I am in Christ, what is his has become mine. Uh, we, we, we've got to stop thinking of ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, as simply forgiven. We're far more than that. We are forgiven, yes, but that's not all we are, because we are in Christ Jesus. Not forgiven, yes, well, I'm not simply with him, I'm not for him, I'm in him. And that was one of the emphases that we made last week. Um, in me, there is much to condemn, but I'm in Christ. And uh, I, I think um, Christians are prone to deprive themselves of some of the... Uh, the, uh, the comforts and the consolations that texts like these afford. Um, here is a statement, ladies and gentlemen, about status, about position. Uh, one that is fixed and unchangeable. Um, um, I, I think we try to say something like, well, you know, this is very nice, and I, I understand how Paul can make a statement like this, that he is, you know, there's no condemnation for somebody like him, but, you know, that's Paul, and he's an apostle, and he's somebody that really, you know, was a very, very, uh, you know, holy guy, but not me. Uh, this can't, this can't, uh, surely can't apply to somebody like me, and, and uh, you, you must notice or note that the text says, uh, to those, not to me, therefore is now no condemnation to me. It says, no, to those. Um, to all those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation, guys. Um, the issue before you here in verse 1 and later is one's union with Christ. If you're a Christian, uh, even when you sin, you do not move back somehow uh, underneath this, this condemnation. Gang, my safety, my everlasting, eternal safety is bound up in the status of Christ because, as I said, we are, our lives are hidden in Christ with God. Um, now, guys, what we, what we need to do as we wrap up verse 1 is look at that last clause down there 
that I, I hope you will recall that I pointed out last week is not in some of your translations. And I, and I can't go back over that again tonight as to why they're in some and not in the others. We did that last week. But there is a clause that will be found in the King James and the New King James that is not found in the NIV and the New American Standard. And it's this clause. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, guys, um, uh, the, the one or the person who enjoys this union with Jesus Christ that we pointed out um, is... is um, it is one who also is described in this text. Uh, it, we are given a word of description so that we can determine who it is that is in union with Christ. Here is the description. They are described as people who do not walk according to the flesh. Um, the, the, the one who is in union with Christ are people who do not do that. They, they uh, As a result of their union... Their whole character is transformed, um, and they walk. That is, um, the New Testament and the Old Testament uses that term when it talks about walking. It's talking about a regulative principle of life. That one, the, the thing that regulates our inner and outer life is um, this this new relationship that I now enjoy. The um, the controlling principle of one's life, who is in union with Christ is not the flesh. It is the Spirit. Gang, the, the evidence of being in Christ is one who is yielding um, the, the whole of his life to the control and sway of the Holy Spirit of God. Gang, um, these last, this last clause gives us a description uh, not, not a cause. I mean, notice it doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, because they walk, they are in, they are in Christ. It doesn't say that. It says that, that part of the evidence is, part of the, part of the proof that indeed they are in Christ is that they walk, um, uh, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is this, this walk is proof of their being in Christ, and they live a life that is empowered and depended upon the, the resident Holy Spirit. And that's what you find in that last clause there, which is perfectly consistent with what you're going to find later. So now we come to um, verse 2. Um, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, guys, you'll notice first that the two verses are connected by the, by the word for, that is, what you're getting in verse 2, what verse 2 begins to give you is reasons as to why we are not condemned. That's going to that's happen several times in chapter 8, but Romans 2 begins it. I mean, excuse me, verse 2 begins it. It begins giving you reasons as to why you are not condemned. Now, guys, um, what you have in verse 2 is a comparison and a contrast between two things. That is, the law of the spirit of life versus the law of sin and death. And right in between those two things is a verb that's going to help us understand what those two things are. There was one life that I used to be in, but now I'm no longer. In fact, I'm set free from that life to this other one. Read it again. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
The key to the right understanding of verse 2, ladies and gentlemen, lies in that verb. Um, it, it's not important what the Greek verb is, if you're interested in it. It's eleutheraeo. Um, um, but the, 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 the word itself is not important. What is important is the tense of that verb. Because it's found in the Greek aroist, which means that it, this is describing something that took place to me. It, um, it took place in my life in the past, and it took place um, in, a, in a snapshot action. That is, um, my being set free, or the verb here, is describing something that happened to me in the past, and it was com- completed in the past. My being set free was something that was accomplished completely in my past. I was set free from one life to, um, to live in a different life. And those are the two things that are being contrasted. Let, let me start at the back of the verse and then work our way towards the front. Um, for instance, here's what I was set free from. The law of sin and death. That's what I was set free from. Now again, guys, because those two things are being contrasted, we can, because of the contrast, we can learn something about this one as we look at this one. We can learn something about this one by looking at this one. You know, that, because they're being contrasted. These two things are opposites. There is a life that is uh, governed by the law of sin and death, and there is a life that is governed by the law of the spirit of life. I got set free from one, and I've entered the other. Now, any time you read your Bibles and you see the word law, uh, what happens normally in the li- in, as I'm reading uh, my, my Bible and I see law, the thing that tends to pop in one's mind is the Ten Commandments. But that's not the way the word law is being used here. It, it's being used far more expansively than that. And, and, and included in that, of course, is a reference to uh, the Ten Commandments. But there's a reference to far more. The word law, guys, um, as you see them contrasted in verse 2, the word law here is used uh, to describe the regulatory principle of one's life. That is, um, that principle that is that you have adopted, that determines how you approach uh, your obtaining of forgiveness and eternal life. Let me try to do better with that. The, the term law here is referring to your approach, how it is that you think, how you're, how you're shaping and ordering your life <coughs> to obtain redemption. That is... There is a law of sin and death, and it's referring to this thing that you have assumed, that you have adopted as your approach to deliverance. Um, now, folks, what I'm suggesting is simply, um, how am I to be saved? Well, there's a couple of ways. There's a couple of answers to that question. I can be, I can be saved by law. I mean, of course, that's, that's an erroneous thought but it's one that's very widespread. That is, that I am saved by performance. I am saved by some kind of human accomplishment, by some kind of human goodness. Now, all of that describes this life that is governed by the law of sin and death. Death, of course, is just a consequence of me adopting an approach to obtaining salvation. What approach have I adopted? Well, 
you've, uh, um, many have adopted an approach which is the law of sin and death. And Paul is saying that he's been set free from that. I have been set free from an approach to my own redemption that requires me to earn it. Um, by some kind of human accomplishment, I have been set free from that. And so what I now have is a life um, that is governed by a new principle, a principle of the spirit of the law of the spirit of life. Guys, you and I need never again fear condemnation because... I have been set free. I have been set free from law. Verse 2 is suggesting that we have been set free, entirely free, from our old relationship to the law of God. That is, from any obligation to fulfill it as some kind of demand for my admission into heaven. I have been set free from that. Um, any kind of reliance upon me and my performance, that is over. I have been set free from any kind of approach that relies on some kind of human accomplishment or human goodness. I've been set free from that. The Christian is one who has been set free, made free, released, no longer under bondage to a life that suggests that the way that I must find and gain admission to heaven is through some kind of human accomplishment. We don't live like that, ladies and gentlemen. Christians have been set free from that. That's in our past. Something was accomplished in us that we have been delivered from that. I no longer bear any obligation to obey the Ten Commandments as a means by which I would produce deliverance. Now, guys, don't misunderstand me. There is The Ten Commandments are still very valuable. But when used as an approach to gain admission to heaven, they do nothing but kill. It has to do with the, the, the methodology, the approach that I have adopted as to how is it that I'm ultimately going to win some kind of admission into heaven. I can do it by law, which won't work. That only kills. And through, um, in relationship to that thing, I have been set free. And so now I have been set free uh, unto the law of the spirit of life. Now, guys, um, let me go a little bit further, and then I want to come back to this. But um, what is it that has set me free from any kind of attempt to earn my admission into heaven? I'll tell you what set me free. It was the law of the spirit of life. Um, now, now, what is that? Well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, it's the opposite of the law of sin. But it's just another way of discuss or, or referring us to the great work of the Spirit that has granted life. It is the great work of the Spirit that has granted life and as a result joined us to Christ. 
It is that great um, regenerative work of the Spirit that has, that has set me free from that and, and has, uh, in having done that, has joined me to Christ. Did you notice, ladies and gentlemen, that in verse 2 you find the same preposition for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus? What is it that produced this union with Christ for me? It is the Spirit's work. It is the Spirit that set me free from that, which is nothing but tyranny and death, and has created within me something brand, brand, brand spanking new. It's a law of liberty. It's a law of life. It's a, it's a, it's a regulative principle, a controlling principle, and an empowering principle that is authored, authored by the Holy Spirit. That's the difference, ladies and gentlemen, in, in um, a non-Christian and a Christian. I, I'm telling you, my brother and sister in Christ, you've got to stop thinking of yourself as just being forgiven. You're far more than that. You're far more than forgiven. You've been set free from that, and now you have been, you have been engrafted. You are now in union. In union with Christ. Now, assuming for a moment that that has taken place in your life, can, can I, I wanted to add just, just a brief word of application because there's a lot of people who indeed have experienced that, that, um, that manumission, that, that setting free, that liberty that is now ours in Christ, and yet having even been set free, they somehow want to go back under the law. Uh, here's my illustration. Do you remember when Egypt was set, excuse me, when Israel was set free from Egypt and all that tyranny and all that, that bondage and slavery and all that business? And then they get out and they're free and they're out from under tyranny and, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're free men. And they get out there and they look back at Egypt and they say, oh, that I could go back there. Now, I know I was a slave. I know that I was uh, tyrannized. I know that I was nothing more than a piece of meat. But I want to go back there. Is that not insane? Now, I I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, the, the people of God do it all the time. They have been set free from a life where performance earns them admission to heaven. Because that didn't work. And it won't work for anybody. But now, they having been set free from that, they get over into this life of the liberty and the spirit, and they say, oh, I want to go back and do that some more. I want to go back and, and, and try to manufacture my worth and demonstrate my value by some outstanding performance. That's living under the law. And I have been set free from that. I don't know about the rest of you, but I I think so many of you, you have been set free too. Why would we ever want that again? The life that we live is one of freedom, and and its regulative principle is the law of the Spirit. You know, folks, um, freedom is a scary thing. Freedom is something that can really be abused. And so people would rather move back under some kind of law because there they know what's expected of them.
But man, when they come to Christ and they're set free, what they have to do now is deal with Jesus as to what he would expect as opposed to dealing with some kind of code of responsibility. Christians are doing this. Christians are people who would rather have somebody tell them how to do it than to go face Jesus and find out what he would like. That to me is monumentally sad. It is, it is um, you know, I, I, I used to think that if I could perform my way into heaven, then I found out that was wrong. And now I've been set free. Now I want to perform my way into value. I want to perform my way into worth. Or I want to perform my way into acceptability. Or I want to perform my way into gaining some of God's approval or God's love. It's all all so false. I, I was set free from that, ladies and gentlemen. And so have you been. Don't you like that freedom? Who would ever want to go back to that? Well... Unfortunately, I think we find some in the, the kingdom who would rather have that would rather live under law than live under freedom. Gang, um, being set free is just another result of my being justified in Christ. I, I, I've pointed out again that there's that preposition again in Jesus, but only in Jesus. Is the Spirit's power operative? There are two benefits that are listed in these two verses, two benefits from my being in Jesus Christ. Here they are. Benefit number one no condemnation. No legal claim of sin over me. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I, I did something in my grace group Sunday night and. Man, I produced this, this unbelievable silence. I didn't mean to. I, I really didn't know what I was doing, you know, but I just did it, and it sure did make everybody quiet. I mean, we have kind of a raucous group, and they're kind of fun, and we kind of enjoy this, you know, back and forth. And, and um, there's, this, there's this scene in Pilgrim's Progress. In my grace group, we do Pilgrim's Progress. But in there, there's this scene in Pilgrim's Progress where little faith... The guy's name is Little Faith. You know, Little Faith. And he gets beat up by guilt. Guilt comes along and beats him up because he's Little Faith. You know, he shouldn't be Little Faith because when you're Little Faith, you get beat up by guilt. And uh, old Little Faith got beat up, got beat up bad. But Bunyan, in his genius, somehow works. I mean, I don't know exactly how he said that. I should have brought it with me. But Bunyan says, but his certificate to it for admission Oh, no, no, no. The people who beat him up stole everything that little faith had except his certificate of admission to the celestial city. Did you get that? I mean, little faith, guilt comes along, just beats the dickens out of him and then steals everything he's got. But the one thing that they didn't steal was his certificate of admission to the celestial city. And then Bunyan goes on to say, they didn't steal that because they couldn't. No, no, they couldn't. They can't take it away from you. But, but, but here's what I did. I mean, but guilt sure does make little faith's life miserable. Guilt just beats him up. And I, and I paused, and I, I didn't have this in my notes, and, and um, it was, boy, kind of quiet in that room. 
Because I, I turned to the women in the, in the, in the audience and I said, or in, in my living room, and I said, you know, one of the things that I tend to deal with a couple of times a year is women in our congregation who have had abortions. It was this kind of silence. <laughs> now, guys, I, I'm not trying to make it a point about abortion. And if you had an abortion, I'm sorry you did that. That was really bad. And that was, that was murder. We believe that abortion is the, is the taking of life. I'm really sorry you did that. And I know that you bear scars from having done so. But may I tell you that your certificate for admission to the celestial city cannot be taken from you. Even having done that. I mean, guilt kind of beats you up all the time, doesn't he? But I'm not trying to minimize that, guys. I'm not trying to make light of it in any way. What I'm simply trying to demonstrate is there is a certificate of admission to the celestial city and nobody can take that from you. Nobody can get it. There is no legal claim of sin over me ever again. No kind of mission. None. I mean, maybe you could think of a worse one. I, you know, we could stand up here and go for a while. But guys, do you, do you see my point? I'm just saying, as, as bad as that is, and as horribly as you hate it, and I'm glad you hate it, and as unfortunate as it was, and all of that, I have been set free from a life that requires me to perform my way into heaven. I've been set free from that. And so sin has no legal claim on me. None. So um, that's the first benefit of being in union with Christ. The second benefit of being in union with Christ is that I'm free. No bondage. No shame. No tyranny. I'm free. You know, guys... um, I am one of the biggest proponents that you will ever meet of Christian liberty. I love my freedom. I love having been set free by Jesus Christ. I love that. And I don't want anybody taking me back to their methods, their approaches of earning something by moving me back under the law. I don't want that. One of my benefits, one of the benefits of being in Christ is I have no condemnation. The other one is that I'm free. If you're in Christ, you're free too. Um, There is no legal claim of sin over me. There is no actual claim of sin over me. Um, Although sin does create a significant battle, it does, doesn't it? We kind of battle that a bunch. But although sin can create and can, you know, make some messes and, and cause some complexities in our lives, yes, yes, yes. You know, some of us bear the scars of stupid decisions that we made, and, and some of them even made stupid decisions while we were Christians. But, 
Sin has no legal claim over me. Sin has no actual claim over me. I'm free. There is no condemnation, and I'm free. Now, I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, that Christians ought to enjoy the consolations of this text for their souls. This is something that ought to bring you joy. That is, that I, there is no condemnation, and I'm free. Uh, sin can't tyrannize me anymore. Satan can't whisper to me in the night, Ooh, don't you remember what you did? You do remember, don't you? Don't you? Those moral breakdowns of ours, we'll never forget them, will we? But Satan can't come to me in the night and say, you know what you did? You're ruined. No. I'm, uh, I'm ashamed of what I did. I'm sorry of what I did. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not condemned. I've been set free from that. Now, guys, i got about nine minutes left, and I want to read you something. It's a fairly lengthy quote. It's from um, a commentary that uh, you pay me to read by Robert Haldane. And, and I, I want to pause along the way because this is probably 10 or 15 sentences, and I want you to be able to get every sentence because I think this is wonderful. Uh, but the language is a bit wooden, so I'll, I'll try to unwooden it as we go along. But um, stay with me. Um, Haldane says this, Every believer should take to himself all the consolation which this verse contains, and with Paul he may with confidence say, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, the first thing Haldane says is every Christian ought to be able to join Paul in saying exactly what he says. That is, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The consolation of that ought to be yours. It ought to be ours. It ought to be enjoyed. We ought to be able to appropriate the enjoyment of being or knowing that we've been set free. All right, that's, that's just sentence number one. We ought to be able to do that. Many, however, will say... We should be happy indeed if we could, with Paul, adopt this language. Oh, I'd love to say this. I wish I could. I mean, I wish I could say what Paul says. Oh, it would, it would really, it would really stir my soul if I could say what Paul says here. But what assurance can we have of being free from condemnation and of being in Christ Jesus, since the flesh is so strong in us and the spirit so weak, since we are still prone to so many sins and subject to so many defects. Do you get that? Oh, I'd love to be able to say what Paul says. Oh, believe me, Jimmy. Man, would I love to be able to own that and go out of here and talk of the world for Jesus. Man, oh yeah, I really would love to say that. But I can't say that because, you know, there's still so much proneness in me to sin and so much defect. I want to say this. But every time I come to the place where I want to say it, I say, you know, I blow it again. I yell at my wife. I, I curse the lady in the other lane. And, and uh, you know, I, uh, I look at something that I shouldn't. And, and I see so much defect, so much flaw in me. I want to say this. But, you know, I mean, when I look at me, I see flaw. I see nothing but flaw. I see nothing but a propensity to sin. How could I possibly say this? Now, listen. 
if, you, if you're asleep, if I put you to sleep, my condolences, but wake up and listen to Haldane's. How can I possibly have this appropriation of consolation when I see so much sin in me? Does anybody else have that problem? Hmm? Listen to this. Assuredly, if a man is satisfied in sinning and following carnal desires and is not desirous to turn from these ways, he has no ground to conclude that he is freed from condemnation, for such is not the state of any believer. But, listen, on this, your consolation hangs, ladies and gentlemen, on this next sentence. But, if on the other hand, he groans on account of his sins, crying out with the apostle, Oh, wretched man that I am. If they displease him, that is their, his sin, if his sins displease him, if he have a godly sadness on account of having committed them, and earnestly prays to God to be delivered from them, he may be assured of his salvation. Did you get that? Oh, Paul, yeah. Oh, man, but I love to say that with Paul. Because, you know, I'd, I'd love to have that kind of consolation. But I can't, because when every time I look at myself in the mirror, all I see is defect. And Haldane says, if indeed you're satisfied in your sin and you, you love following carnal desires and you have no desire to turn away, then you have no grounds for ever thinking that this is true of you. But if, on the other hand, your very defects, your very failings, the very things that you do see in the mirror and know aren't there, if they grieve you, if they bring you great grief and displease you, and there is a godly sadness on account of having committed them, and there is earnest prayer to God to be delivered from them, and asking that they that we I mean uh, that you for mercy, you have every right to believe. You are savingly joined to this Christ. The issue is not the defect, ladies and gentlemen. Let me say to you, categorically, you're all defective. We're all defective, ladies and gentlemen. And very frankly, the longer you're a Christian, the more defect you see. Huh? There's just more defect than we ever dreamed in there. But the indication... The indicator, ladies and gentlemen, as to whether you're real or false is not the amount of the defect. It is your response to the defect. Does, does the defect trouble you? Do you groan over its existence and long to have mercy in response to it? For the Christian is not one 
who is without sin and evil inclinations, as is abundantly shown in the preceding chapters. But the Christian is one who resists and combats against them and returns to God by repentance. His groans on account of his sins and his meditating on the Word of God, his earnest endeavors to be holy and to grow in grace, although not without all the success he desires, are proofs of his regeneration. Oh, I hate it. I groan over it. And I'm still not very successful. But the groaning and the hating it and the longing for repentance, those are the evidences and the proofs of one's regeneration. For if he were dead in his sins, he would not be affected on account of them, nor would he resist them. My friends, if you were outside of Christ, your sin wouldn't bother you. But yours bothers you, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? You know what that is? That's the law of spirit, the spirit of life. That's why that's in there. That's why that groaning and that hating of your defect is in there. You know how you got that? The law of the spirit of life. And whoever resists the flesh by the Spirit of God will in the end obtain the victory. For the Holy Spirit in us is greater in goodness and power than all that is against us. Satan, the world, and the flesh. All this, verse 2, all this should inspire the believer with courage to fight the good fight of faith and to follow the movements of the blessed Spirit in the Lord And the Lord will say to his soul, I am thy salvation. Oh gosh. You know guys, back in Romans 7, there's this great statement that Paul makes in verse 15. And he says, the good that I would, I do not do. But the very evil, That's what I do. But the idea or the the indicator is I hate my own defects. I hate my own failings. Those, ladies and gentlemen, are in you because you have been set free from the law of sin and death to live a life of the Spirit. If if those things rang true, let me tell you something about you. No condemnation, now or ever. You're free. Live it out. I've got to tell you this. Because this, this, this is not in my notes, but this is a quote from Martin Luther. And it's a very dangerous quote. 
Very dangerous quote, and I'm sure many of you have heard it. Very dangerous quote. If you take it out of the context, it's, it's a very dangerous quote. Martin Luther said, Sin boldly. Is he telling us to go sin? He's encouraging us to go out and sin. No, no, no. But when you do, know this. Even in the midst of a defect, no condemnation. Well, we ought to be living differently. Because as he said, Christians ought to appropriate the consolations of these texts. Have you? They're glorious. Our Father, I do pray that your people will come to the place where they see that this is them. That this is not describing the apostolic band or the professional clergy. This is who they are. They are the people over whom sin has no legal nor actual claim. They are the ones about whom it can be said condemnation because the Spirit has set them free from the law of sin and death. Grant us grace, O God, that we can appropriate the kindnesses of these statements. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.